Hello, and welcome to Do It For Grantly, a podcast brought to you by Fortress Fund Managers, where we speak with women and men in Barbados about their Grantleys and other money matters. I'm Kim Howard, Marketing Manager at Fortress, and my co-host is Omar Kennedy. Hello, listeners. An entrepreneur, author, and former financial manager. In today's episode, A Woman's Worth, we're delighted to have with us Melinda Bell, founder and managing director of Astrape Finance, a company dedicated to creating a community of persons and businesses that understand financial management. We'll talk about her journey and why independent women should invest. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. So let's get to it. Financial security doesn't grow on trees. It's built brick by brick with smart investments and a strong partner. To retirement, education, and whatever your future may hold, we say bring it on. At Fortress Fund Managers, we're not afraid of the hard work, long hours, or steady saving, just like you aren't. We know better than anyone that you can't just hope for good luck. Call Fortress Fund Managers on 435-7777 to build your personal fortress. Your future, our business, Fortress. Welcome, Melinda. Hi, thanks for having me. Hi, Omar. (laughs) So just a little bit about Fortress and who, what we do. Fortress is a mutual fund management company. We've been operating in Barbados since 1996, and we provide mutual fund services to both individuals and organizations. Um, Omar, tell us a little bit what about what mutual funds are. A mutual fund is an investment product which pulls together money from a whole bunch of investors at once, and we take that money and we invest it all over the world. It works on your principle of diversification, not putting all of your eggs in one basket. So you invest in stocks, you invest in bonds, you invest in other mutual funds, you invest in governments, public companies, real estate, all of these things which you could not as easily do as an individual. You pull your money together with other persons and the mutual fund managers manage it for you to minimize the risk that you have when you're investing and to maximize your returns. All right. That sounds awesome. And that's essentially money. So Melinda... That's what you deal with all day, essentially, helping others to manage their money as well. That's what I do. Okay. So tell us, just how important is it to your clients? How important is money to your clients? Um, I think it's essential. It's (laughs) like um, oxygen. If you don't have money, you can't do anything. But um, I always challenge people and tell them that you don't need to have money in order to have a financial plan. How else will you know what to do with your money when you finally actually receive it? Now, my problem was, was when I got my first job, I didn't have a plan. So I was in town like every Saturday spending like $100. So if there are four Saturdays within a month, I spent $400, which I could have put into mutual funds. <laughs> um, but eventually I, I grew up. I, I settled because I was still living at home with my parents. But then I understood that if I wanted to move from point A to point B, I had to you know, incorporate some form of discipline. And budgeting wasn't really my favorite word at that time. So So I painstakingly opened my laptop, opened an Excel spreadsheet and started budgeting. So 
I always say that businesses are birthed out of a business owner's personal experience. So I found the solution. So I really want to share that solution with other people. You can have a great relationship with your money. Your first step is to understand who you are and where you are, where you need to be. That's a very interesting point. Um, we're going to talk about the gender divide. Um, how would you find? How do you find that women have? What approach do women take as opposed to men when it comes to their money? I would find well. Most of my clients are women, mm-hmm. so they willingly come to me for advice. They know they're in that position. They acknowledge readily that the decisions they would have made, the habits and practices would have placed them in the position that they're in. Mm-hmm. So I would find they're more willing and more, what's the word, responsible in terms of owning up to their mistakes and actually making that decision for that transition. Um, I did have a meeting with a couple because the wife actually, you know, called the meeting. So he was there also. Also. You know. <laughs> he was there also. But um, I think that women are more willing to. I have some male clients, but not in the same number as the female clients that I have. Which I find to be interesting. Um, back in the days, I'm going to date myself a little bit. Back in the <laughs> late 90s, early 2000s, I found that men were the persons who did most of the investing. And there would be persons who come in to the mutual fund offices and say, I want to invest this for myself and my family. So do you think there's a reversal on that? And if so, why? There's a reversal. I think women are understanding that they have a place um, in the corporate world. Um, back then it would be that the woman was the homemaker and was responsible for taking care of the kids but there's a shift in where women are actually going out there and actually you know making a living for themselves and I can speak for myself personally Um, I'm very fiercely independent and and, and I did have a good example for my mother also because Um, She has a doctorate. She's out there making money and and doing all those things. And I thought, well, if she could be someone of, you know, influence in that she has a family, yet she can go after her goals, I can do the same as well, too. So I guess it has a lot to do with what you would have seen within the home. But then also women are more dynamic in that they have this drive to actually go after what it is they want. I'm actually wondering... How much, you know, it would be nice to know if definitively, but I guess we can only go on our sort of anecdotal evidence and, you know, the experiences that you may have with the clients that come to you. Uh, I still believe that they're fair. There's more men who may be oriented towards the investing that you mentioned, Omar, mm-hmm. rather than an actual co cohesive financial plan that somebody would work out with someone like Melinda. Um, I says. Based on the kind of things that I observe, I think that there are women who tend to be more willing to say, there's something I should be doing with my money. I don't know exactly what it is. Help me figure it out. Whereas men may already be in a circle where they're familiar with someone. They know someone that they line with, hang out with, play golf with, um, basketball, whatever. And they tell them, well, yeah, I've got my money and such and such. You should do that too. So I think there's those kind of discussions take place. From your experience, Melinda, do you find that your clients, male or female, do they seem to mention that they're discussing their finances with their other, their counterparts? Um, based on my interactions with my clients, I haven't heard that. Mm. Um, if it is someone that's married or in a relationship, there may have been some discussion about it. 
But um, I'm not really getting that. And I think that people prefer to have one-on-one sessions Mm -hmm. because they don't necessarily want everyone knowing their business, so to speak. But I like to surround myself with people who are like-minded like I am and who could actually provide knowledge, insight. And out of that, you you could develop a community of people, you know, who you can converse with. Ideally, that's what should happen, but I don't think that's really happening in Barbados in my opinion. I understand. I I, I do, I I see both of your points. Um, What I've been finding is the paradigm shift is changing and I'm finding a lot more young ladies coming and saying, well, you know, Omar, I want to buy this car. I, how do I finance this? Should I get a brand new car or a car that's three years old or five years old? Um, I would like to think about getting married in the future and weddings aren't cheap. Should I start investing from now in something that you know, would help me do this. But with the guys I'm finding, the younger gentlemen, I'm hearing, I want to get the biggest rims on my car. I want to party. I want to go out and drink. And there's nothing wrong with all of those things, but you have to make sure that your future is covered as well. Well, I ain't got an put down, so why gotta be worried about my future? I know, and that's, and that's one of the things that men say a lot. I could be dead tomorrow, but I find the ladies are saying, but I could be alive tomorrow. And that is a really big difference, which I admire about the ladies because they're thinking much further down the road. Do you find that of your clients that they're more open? What's the attitude towards investing? Because, you know, people want to know what to do with their money in terms of some of the goals that Omar mentioned, buying a car or whatever the case may be. But um, do they seem to be aware of of saving or investing or the differences between the two? I believe that they're aware of it. Um, I think that they may not see it as an avenue because they're looking at where they're at um, financially. So, they, for example, someone may be in debt, so they may not think that they need to enter into investing because of the position that they're in. But um, I try to tell them that, you know what, you don't need to have like $10,000 on the bank account in order to start investing. Um, I took that risk personally. Um, I'm someone that's not normally risk averse, but I'm learning that in order for my you know, money to accumulate, I need to put it in a vehicle that could um, guarantee returns for me. So I, I share my experience and I tell them that it's really possible, but some are open to it. They, are, they understand what it is, but the problem is, is that I'm in debt, so I don't really have as much discretionary income in order to do so. So it's my task to really ensure that they have more in order to play, yes, in order to be um, in order to invest. Okay, and yeah, because I know that there are quite a people who have that perception, not realizing that, for example, at Fortress, you can open a growth account with a hundred dollars, and then you're only asked to put fifty dollars a month. That's the minimum after that. Yeah. So you could continue with that $50 for as long as that may be all you can juggle at the time but the time may come when you're in less debt or you've got a promotion or you have a new job mm-hmm. and so you may be able to squeeze out another 50 so you can do 100 a month or whatever the case may be so I think that's something that people have traditionally held that view that it's a big money thing you know there's people that got big money but it's it's not that and hopefully you know people like you will help help to educate people and in that regard and I think also people are, are interested in terms of earning additional sources of income oh. Um, I find that that's a really big thing for some of my clients and they could probably become more open-minded and seeing that investing is an avenue through which you can actually earn 
returns on your investment. I agree completely. Mm-hmm. One of the key things mm-hmm. I've heard over the last three or four years is passive income. You know, when you put money down and, you know, twice a year, four times a year, once a year, some a check comes into you for, quote unquote, doing nothing. You know, and 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 people people like this idea of that I'm, I'm getting free money. It's not free money. You're investing it somewhere, but it is money you didn't quite expect um, to come. In other words, you didn't work actively for it. So you know, these these are things that persons are looking at. So I'm finding a lot of persons, especially women, are now looking at this passive income. They use that income to go and do things that they want to do outside of their usual operations for for the month. What are some of the things that you find women tell you that they want to do with their money? Like some of the goals that the they goals identify def- apart from getting out of debt. Oh, sure. <laughs> there are women who have, um, they're looking for careers. They want better job opportunities. So through that, they could earn a bigger pay packet. Um, there are also women who are interested in starting businesses because that's a form of investing in that you actually put some capital. Well, I started my company with zero dollars, but it's possible. <laughs> but they're looking into starting businesses as well, too. And then um, there may be some that have children, so they want to make sure they save for their children's education. So that's really, really important to them. Some may be interested in you know saving for a deposit for a home and so on. So those are some of the goals that I see them coming up with on so their own. Do you believe that um, women in Barbados who tend to be the pr- primary caregivers, do you think that the family and children aspect play more on their mind than, say, with the with the men? Definitely. I think so. Um, they, they are really interested in securing their children's future. Um, remember one saying, you know what? I would have made mistakes, but I really don't want my children to make the same mistakes that I did. So I'm going to make sure that I set them up and that they are in a better financial position, starting position rather, than I was. So definitely. Do you find there are different goals based on whether they're single or married women? It depends. Um, I don't think that you being single and married should change in that your goal is to have or experience financial freedom, right? Just because you're single, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't still seek after, you know, having financial freedom. Um, The perception may be that you need to have a partner in order to start considering that, Mm -hmm. but you don't. You can choose to have a better financial life on your own. But then also as a couple, um, that should be a primary goal because money could make or break a relationship. Trust me, (laughs) they can. So it's important um, to have, you know, that foundation, build upon that foundation. I mean, for a single person, you're only thinking about yourself. But for a married person, you're thinking about, okay, well, is my spouse going to be covered in the event? Should I pass? Um, what about my children's education um, and health care and, and so on? Um, how, how am I going to make sure that they're covered should I be gone? Um, I want to ensure that they're actually going to a college, so to speak. So I want to make sure that I actually have money set aside in order to send them where it is they want to be. So it depends because I always say that a financial plan should be dynamic in that, you know, it gives room for growth and for planning for different life stages. 
I understand. I'm going to ask you a, a slightly difficult question, so forgive me for this. I guess it's for everyone right now. Um, when we were growing up, you know, we all knew that boys were raised differently to girls. You know, girls would be told to stay inside and play with your dolls, and the guys can go outside and play in the quarry. You know? So, um, do you find that parents are, maybe inadvertently, I'm not sure, are they teaching the girls about finances in a different way that they teach the boys? What what is going on there? Are children taught the same way when it comes to how to appreciate and respect your money? Mm-hmm. I think that um, men are raised to be the providers, mm-hmm. and that they should um, have more income than the the woman. That's what society dictates, mm-hmm. but it's very different now because there are women who are making more than men in some instances. instances. Okay, well, there we go. I'm not speaking out of turn. <laughs> right. Speaking from me personally, my father was very adamant that I have some form of financial freedom. Mm-hmm. He's like, why don't you get a credit card? I don't have one, by the way, because I used to, but I don't. Okay. Um, but I guess he just wanted me to be able to have some form of purchasing power. And then he also said to me, why don't you open an account at a credit union? Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was young and I was foolish. I didn't know any better because I thought credit unions were for poor people. <laughs> right? Um, and then my mother was very adamant, always made sure that you can do for yourself. In other words, that I have some... Um, some sort of finances to bring to the table or that I'm able to, to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. So it depends on the family dynamic. My parents are not traditional in the sense mm-hmm. in that the man is, is the head and he's supposed to be making all the money and going out there and the woman's supposed to stay at home. My parents aren't like that. But it depends on the generation. It depends on the home dynamic. I mean, given all of that, given the, you know where the home dynamic, where people come from, their perceptions, how do you think that that influences their perception of investment? You mentioned a perception that you had about credit unions, which is another vehicle for saving and to some extent investment. How do you find that these factors, the factors of you know uh, the family dynamic or gender p- gender perspective, how do those influence people's attitudes towards investment and investing? I would say if family members weren't accustomed um, actually practicing certain financial habits. I would come if I would come at it from that. If it is not something that was practiced within the family and the values that weren't passed down, it's not something that is looked into because, you know, children tend to mirror or mimic what their parents do. So if it's not an actual practice then it's not something that would be taken to mind. Um, my parents were teachers all respect to them if they're listening Mm -hmm. but they weren't entrepreneurs but I am an entrepreneur so it's not necessarily something that I saw but I knew within myself this is what I really wanted to do so it depends on the mindset um, what people are taught and so on so I think I think that that has a lot to do with it yeah I have a question Mm -hmm. what age would you say you would start teaching children on a whole about finances and money and loans and credit cards. I find that a lot of the time when we leave university, they throw these credit cards at us and we don't have the foggiest on how to utilize them in the correct fashion. We see it as free money, but ignore the 27% interest rate, which is attached to the end, which will be a noose around your neck. So for for years, so, so what, what age do you think it's good to start teaching kids about these things? From primary school, four or five years old. Um, I, 
I think I did a video on my Instagram profile. Like budgeting, for example, I always mention the envelope system. Mm-hmm. So I come. Oh, cool. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the envelope system is basically a system where you place money into envelopes for various spending purposes. Oh. So you have an envelope for rent, you have an envelope for gas, food, whichever. Mm-hmm. All right. The idea is, is that the money you put into each spending category is what you're stuck with. There's no taking um, money from the utilities envelope mm-hmm. in order to fund the fund money envelope when it goes out. So you basically have to stick mm-hmm. to what it is you actually um, allocated. Now for children, and I've done this because I went to a summer camp and they were quite perceptive. Mm -hmm. So I had $5, Monopoly money, not the real thing, um, (laughs) in an envelope. And I called it, I labeled it allowance, right? So there are three different envelopes they have. There's giving, there's saving, and there's spending. So I think giving was a blue envelope. Um, saving was a gold envelope and red was spending and they actually took the time to decipher themselves how much money they're putting in each envelope some didn't give which is understandable because if you're not giving in nature you're not going to do it Um, (laughs) some were like okay I really want to spend all but then some were like okay I want to really save more and spend less so children do have the ability to make the decisions with their money I agree completely Mm -hmm. And I think when you foster those ideas from young, which is not something that we may traditionally do in Barbados or in many of our families in Barbados, um, it helps to make you feel more conf- confident and comfortable when you get to that age when somebody's thrusting a credit card at you or you're getting a call about signing up for insurance after, you know, when you signed up for your first job and you have no idea whether you need this, how much you need, whatever the case may be. But it also allows you then to be aware, just like how you have those categories of saving, giving, and spending. There's another category, which is also investing, investing yeah. right? And there's another, and that's something that Hopefully, if you are starting at that stage, helping children to understand that, helping teenagers to understand that when they come out into the working world, they understand that these are options available to them and options that they should should explore. And, um, you know, you can't start as a kid in an investment, you know, in an investment category necessarily, but a parent can start on your behalf. Um, You can invest in a mutual fund on a child's behalf. And then when they're 18, convert it over to them. So those are all things that are possible. You can choose not to as well. People choose sometimes like this is for their education and I'm going to transfer it at the point where I think they can use it responsibly rather than when they're going to spend it silly. (laughs) But thank you so much, Melinda. It's been great talking to you. You're welcome. And thanks for having me. All right. Live for Grantly is a production of Fortress Fund Managers. Listen to more episodes on SoundCloud or on our website, fortressfund.com. That's fortressfund.com. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at infofortressfund.com or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Fortress Fund Managers. Most people find out about podcasts through recommendations. So spread the word and tell your friends about our show. Until next time, I'm Kim Howard. And I'm Omar Kennedy. Thanks for listening. <laughs>